2: A warmer from below. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For Coast Coast, East, with myself, Greg e. Spears, And now, a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Gonna be joined by Cooper Watson. He does a terrific job over there at Bus and Brackets. Taking a look at college basketball all 12 months out of the year. In the second segment, we're gonna be chatting with him about what NC State has done here in the offseason. The good moves that the ACC has made where to put Purdue with regards to the hierarchy of the Big Ten now that they've got David Jenkins in the fold. He wound up committing to them about 48 hours ago. And then we're also going to be talking about a couple teams under the radar that he likes, and it's going to turn into a little bit of SOCON conversation. So for you guys that you love college basketball, going to be diving into that with Cooper in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a little bit of a recap as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball over the last 48 hours. Typically, this is the last 24, but... As you guys know, wound up doing my big self conference preview yesterday we're gonna have a conference preview coming for all thirty two conferences. So if you have yet to hear your favorite conference and in all likelihood, you probably have because we've only done three conferences thus far. I have no fear. Those are coming all throughout the offseason. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at junet underscore 81. Keep in mind letters, DM. Amy mean, does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, it is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're about firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast I like that five-star review. Really did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but had a great chat with Cooper. So that is going to be coming up next right here on Cusco Soups with myself, Greg eves and now a part of the Beats Family Podcast. And we're back here in Love Las Vegas with Custy with myself, Greg e. Spears. And now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guests as Cooper Watson is doing some terrific work covering college basketball over there at Fanside It's Network and Brackets as is based out there in the great state of North Carolina. Has joined me a few times on this podcast and always brings the goods in. To be able to follow Cooper on Twitter, that is at Cooper T. Watson. So it's first and last name with a T in the middle of it. And Cooper, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. It's good to be back, Greg. Thanks for having me on, man. It is great to have you aboard and Cooper. I know that you're a man that's out there in the great state of North Carolina. I know that we've talked about this scene once or twice on the podcast, but since we want to blast chatting, NC State has actually had a relatively good off season. Draquavian Smith coming back is something that I'm not sure about you, but I did not wind up seeing in the future for this team. You also wound up having DJ Burns come into the fold for this bunch. Now, I think it was on full display with regards to the NBA draft combine. The fact that, well, the offense that was being run by Kevin Keats probably didn't wind up doing the world's greatest job of being able to accentuate Travion Smith, al- Trequavian Smith, along with the man that wound up leaving the program in Daron Sebron. But I would say that all in all, Under the radar, NC State has actually had a relatively successful offseason to this point.
3: They've done pretty well. I don't know if it's going to be enough to make the NCAA tournament, which is probably what Kevin Keats needs to do this year. But they've still done pretty well coming in to the offseason. What I had heard was Jerquavion was very patient. He didn't feel like he needed to push his luck if he was going to be... Second round, something like that. He was probably going to come back, whereas Sebron was more likely to leave, even if he is not going to be a first round pick, which it looks like he's not going to be. But Terquavion, I mean, he played so well in Chicago that week with the G League Elite Camp and the Combine. I mean, he would moved all the way up. If you you know looked at San Vicini, I know uh, with the Athletic had him up at like twentieth on his mock draft. I mean, this was a guy that seemed like for sure was going to go first round. You just don't see guys come back from that. If you're getting projected to go 20th in major mock drafts, it's very unlikely that those guys come back. But he's back. I think he's going to have a big year. He was forced a little bit. One of the complaints that some people have about DeGravion is that he didn't shoot a great percentage, 40%, 39% from the field. Not totally his fault, I don't think. Had to bail out. There's a difference, I think, that's important to make with DeGravion. Some guys take bad shots and they force bad shots. Other guys have to bail their team out. Quivion found himself in that position a lot last year, taking bad shots because nobody else, a bad shot for him is better than a decent shot for somebody else. NC State's done a decent job. They're not going to be bottom of the ACC this year. If they are, then, I mean, when- Kevin you
2: know, Gates is gone if they are. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> they are. Not going to happen. They should be decent. A couple nice transfers. DJ Burns, you mentioned. He'll probably start. I don't know how much he's going to play. You know, only played like 20 minutes at Winthrop, even though he averaged 15 points. Jark Hill joiners coming in. I don't like him as a NCAA tournament team, but the defense was the issue last year. So you bring back this offensive phenomenon in Taquavion Smith, who could be a lottery pick next year. You bring in DJ Burns, who's really an offensive player. I don't think they've improved defensively that much. They do get Greg Gant back, who missed last season from Providence, Providence transfer. That'll help defensively a little bit, but I mean, they were like sub 200 on Kim Pom defensively last year. It was terrible. The offense, believe it or not, even though it didn't do a great job of showcasing Steve Ron and Taquavion Smith was decent. The defense was just horrific. So I think they've done a decent job. I don't think it's going to be enough, though.
2: Yep, I think that it's going to be tough out there in an ACC that, I mean, I take a look at it, and a lot of teams have been making some very solid moves, as we do have Cooper Watson of Busting Brackets joining me right here on the podcast because we all know the moves that Miami wanted making. There's now going to be a little bit of investigation on some of their NIL deals, which I don't know what that's going to yield because the NCAA has not made any sort of rules with regards to any of it as a matter of fact I don't think that coaches that are trying to implement these deals have any idea what's going on as well so that's going to cause for a lot of interest but obviously Duke North Carolina they're going to be at the top of the conference I'm not saying anything new here but Wake Forest once again wound to hitting the transfer portal I like the way that Virginia was able to bring in Ben Vanderplas. I'm still relatively high on Virginia Tech Florida State hasn't done a lot in the portal, but they wound up having legitimately a injury list that you could have made a great starting five out of that. So I take a look right. at the ACC as a whole after they wound up getting five teams into the NCAA tournament last season. I think the arrow is trending massively upward for this conference, just being more deep in general, especially a school like Louisville that they wound up having a regime change to Mr. Kenny Payne in the offseason. Definitely.
3: I'm confident in the ACC being probably a seven bid league all the way down through even Notre Dame where, you know, the defense could be an issue there, but they bring back a really nice core. Cormac Ryan, Dane Goodwin, Nate Lashevsky coming back as well, bring in a good freshman class, JJ Starling and Allen Lubin. So that's a team that could be decent. Florida State, you mentioned, is interesting. A little bit of a wild card, a down year last year, tons of injuries. I think they bounce back. I'm with you there. I'm I'm high on Florida State. I believe Riley Davis, our friend over at Heat Check, has them like 12th or something. He's got to have been like oh, the, wow. his top 15 preseason. So I'm not quite that high, but I would, not, I would not be surprised at all if this team sneaks up into the top 25 in like December. And you know, we're all looking around like, okay, Florida State's back. Wake Forest, tough. When you do such a good job with transfers like Steve Forbes did last year, it it's good because you want to win games and you want to have good transfers, but it's almost too good because then those guys are leaving. Jake Laravia is leaving. He's improved so much that he's probably going to be a first round pick now. And it puts so much pressure on yourself and your coaching staff to have to get four to five really, really good transfers every year, which is tough. Maybe that's just the way it's going to be for a program like Wake Forest nowadays. But the backcourt's going to be good. Not very sure about the front court. You get Davion Bradford from Kansas State. You get Andrew Carr from Delaware. Not totally sure how he's going to fit in the ACC. I-, I hope he fits well. Just physically, I don't know if he can hang totally there. But front court is going to have some issues, especially in a league with Armando Baycott, then Duke with Derek Lively, and mm-hmm. Kyle Filipowski, and Mark Mitchell, and all these guys up at the top. I mean, the front court. In college basketball, really across college basketball, I mean, like, you can make an argument like, eight of the top 10 players in the country are front court guys. It's tough to hang with that. I, I as much as I would like to talk myself into Wake Forest having a similarly good season hanging around the bubble, I don't see it. I think it's probably an NIT team.
2: Yeah, Ben, it's going to be a little bit tougher because. With Wake Forest taking the loss of Jake LaRavia, which at the beginning of the NBA draft process, we weren't sure what was going to be happening there. And then he just kept playing his way up and up and up the board. Might wind up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done. That wound up dealing them a little bit of a blow. and. When it comes to being dealt some blows, I just take a look at the Big Ten because we're talking about the ACC trending upward. And they're going to be, in my opinion, just a little bit down. And one of the teams I'm just so fascinated by when it comes to the Big Ten because I mean, there were huge aspirations out for them. And they wind up getting bounced in the Sweet 16 by the good old Peacocks. That'd be Purdue. They did wind up adding in the last 48 hours David Jenkins Jr. So, life without Jaden Ivey is going to be fascinating for the team because they do wind up bringing back Zach Eady, one of the absolute giants of the earth. He should be able to do a very solid job for the scene, And You still have some relatively solid shooting for the team. but with that said, I don't think that it's certainly going to be this Purdue team that we wind up seeing from a season go. And honestly, I don't know how much of a step down they're going to be taking because when it was all said and done, they wanted finishing third in the Big Ten last season. I think that they take a little bit of a step back from that, but with how far down the Big Ten is, I still think that Purdue is going to be a pretty formidable team with teams like Illinois and Indiana at the top. Yeah, I
3: mean, disappointing season for Purdue last year. In my opinion, you know, you win probably thirty games. I'm not sure exactly how many games. Twenty nine. There. there you go. So it's better to do that than to just be totally irrelevant. But to have that team and to not win the Big Ten regular season or tournament and to get bounced in the Sweet Sixteen by Saint Peter's is just not good. It's just not great. And then this offseason, it was like you know the meme where the guy's got the stick and he's like poking the ground and he's just like do something. Yep. That's what it was like this offseason for Purdue fans. They're looking at it like there's fifteen hundred transfers in the portal. We have no guards. We can't get any of them until they do get David Jenkins. But not a point guard, David Jenkins. So still a little concerned there. Ethan Morton's probably just going to have to run the show, which is a little scary in the Big Ten normally. In the Big Ten this year, I agree. I think it's going to be a little down. So maybe they can get by with it. But not feeling great about Purdue. Not high on teams that I have major question marks when it comes to the point guard. Ethan Morton's a fine player. I'm sure he'll be okay. He played a little bit of point guard last year. He played point guard in high school. So he'll be okay, I guess. Don't feel great about it. Definitely, you know, don't think they're going to compete with Indiana or Illinois at the top of the league, which is a pretty clear top two, in my opinion. I think it drops off a little bit after that. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, who, you know, I have no Purdue stock, I have no stake in Purdue, just a frustrating last season and a frustrating offseason to not really win anything. You win a bunch of games, but you don't really win anything meaningful. And then to just basically be completely inactive in the offseason is disappointing.
2: Yep, I do think that you're right on those top two. And then I would put Michigan as my number three as well. You bring back Hunter Dickinson. And well, you're always going to have a shot when you've got him and on on top of that Jim as Jury's out as to how he's going to be able to translate to the Big Ten, but at the very least, they did something in the transfer portal, but I think it's going to be interesting to take a look at the Big Ten this upcoming season, as we do have Cooper Watson at a bust of brackets joining me on the podcast, and now we're getting to that time of the offseason, which rosters are getting a little bit more form- formed. We did wind up seeing a few moves over the last 48 hours, like I mentioned with David Jenkins wind up going over there to Purdue, but most of the moves, they have been made. Is there a team or two that the more that you look at them, the more you like them? Like for me, I wanted to diving into this team about 48 hours ago. I look at Illinois State and I recognize that it had not gone well under Dan Muller in recent years. They wind up making the coaching change in the offseason, but they bring in Seneca Knight, Malachi Poindexter, Colton Sandage, Joe Petrakis, Luke Kazibuski along Darius Burford, I take a look at it and I'm like, man, I recognize it's a new regime. I recognize there's a lot of turnover, but I actually really like what I see for Illinois State. I think that the arrow could be trending upward for them. I'm not sure if there's a team or two that sort of the more you dive into them, the more you like them, but that's one for me.
3: I think a team um on... really interested in watching this year is going to be San Diego out in the WCC. You bring in Steve Lavin as head coach. There was some questions, is he going to be all in, you know, how's it going to go? And they just add some really interesting pieces. You you add Jaden Delaire from Stanford, Eric Williams, Jace Townsend. I mean, to be able to add some Pac-12 transfers, like pretty decent Pac-12 players to a team in San Diego that's been irrelevant for a decade now. Just a very interesting team. I don't know that I would buy stock in San Diego right now, especially in a league with Gonzaga, obviously. But there's potential there. And it's been much better than what I expected. I was not super hopeful when Steve Levin took the job. Sometimes you see guys like this take a job. And it's kind of like when Magic Johnson took toned down version. But when he took the GM job at the Lakers, it's like, okay, does he realize this is going to be like a full-time job? Is he all in on this? Turns out he wasn't, really. And that flaked out pretty poorly. But... Steve Lavin seems to be all in. He's put together a good staff, added some like major Pac-12 transfers. That's a team I'm interested in. Another team that I'm just high on, and I don't know if this has changed at all, is Furman. Furman's going to be really good. This is the year I think they break through. They've been really good for several years now. Haven't broken through to the NCAA tournament. They bring back two guys, really, that could be SoCon Player of the Year type players. Mike Bothwell and Jalen Slauson, who uh, I love Jalen Slauson. He's one of my favorite players. You also get Carter Witt, who struggled at Wake Forest, but in the SoCon, I think he's going to be a really, really good point guard. So I'm really high on Furman. I think that's going to be a top it's like 70 Ken Palm team, top 60 Ken Palm team that's probably going to win the SoCon regular season at least. We'll see what they do in the tournament. So yeah, San Diego and Furman. I think fit the bill there.
2: The SoCon has been really one of the best mid majors that we've seen the last yes. few seasons in general. And I think that it's going to be fascinating to take a look at what we're going to be getting this season as well out of them because you mentioned Furman. As of right now, I haven't done necessarily my deep dive on the SoCon yet, but I'd be willing to put Furman number one after Chattanooga. Well, they wind up losing their coach. They wind up losing Malachi Smith, so it's going to be hard for them to be able to repeat. And I take a look at this conference in general, and one team that stands out to me is Samford because Bucky McMillan was like a legend when it came to Alabama high school coaching. He came in last season, did a very solid job. I believe it was Ole Miss that they wound up beating in the non-conference, and they haven't necessarily been as active in the transfer portal this offseason as in the past, but they still wind up bringing in someone that I like in Britton Johnson from Alabama. They bring in Bubba Parham, and I take a look at the Sanford team, and I think that there's a chance that they could wind up being a top three team in that conference as well. I
3: agree. I think it's a top four for me. I would toss in Chattanooga and UNCG in the top four there, I would almost go Furman, and then I would go Chattanooga, Sanford UNCG in some order after that. sanford it comes down to the defense with them. I mean, this is bucky Ball. We heard it when he first came in. Last year, I think they scored like 140 points on some poor D2 school, D3. <laughs> it was just, you know, Twitter had fun with that. But yeah, I like Sanford. I don't know if I trust. It's weird, man. The SoCon is such a crazy league. It's such a, you're right. It's been a good league. I mean, we've seen teams have success in a tournament. Wofford, obviously. UNCGs give a few teams a scare. It's such an even league. I mean, this is one of those where you look at it in February and every team is within like four games or five games or something like that. You just don't see teams run away in this league. So that's the tournaments that are fun. This is the league. Like, if you wanted to show someone, okay, why should the tournament winner? get the bid, the automatic bid, as opposed to the regular season winner. Show on the SoCon Conference Tournament as the example. Sanford, I think now that I'm looking at it, I think I would probably have them third. I'm still kind of high on Chattanooga. I know they lose Malachi Smith, but you bring in Jake Stevens from VMI following his coach. He's going to put up otherworldly stats. A couple of the games he had last year were just unreal, like, I'm getting on basketball reference looking up games. Guys that have had twenty points, twenty rebounds, five made threes, five blocks in a game. Stuff like that. And then he's like the only one in the last decade. He had like multiple of those games last year, I feel like. Furman, Chattanooga, Sanford, UNCG is my top four right
2: now. Yep, and with Jake Stevens, when you can find a guy that is north of six foot ten that can shoot nearly fifty percent from three, you know what? That's gonna be able to help you out a little bit. And Dan Earl, who you mentioned. I mean, the, the fact that he wound up having VMI as competitive as he did, as he did the last two seasons, that is legitimately one of the toughest coaching jobs in all of college basketball. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about coach of the year and everything like that. If you scale it to what they wind up having to go up against, Dan Earl was the top 10 coach of college basketball the last two years. I know that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, insert your power coach here. But Dan Earl did an amazing job with VMI the last two years. So I am with you on Chattanooga, even though... It does wind up hurting that you wind up having all the movement in the offseason. Dan Earl, he was a very good hire. And what is always good is when we wind up getting you on the podcast, Cooper, you do an amazing job over there at Plus and Brackets. I know that you guys are getting set for the upcoming season. I know that you guys, much like myself, were tracking all the movement with regards to college basketball. Now it's starting to get to that time where we're able to get a little bit Less volatility with these rosters. We're able to figure out a little bit more of what we've got. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms.
3: Just Cooper T. Watson on Twitter. I've got a 2023 mock draft that I think I teased last time I was on. It's going to drop next Friday morning after the 2022 NBA draft. Looking at a pretty clear number one pick there with Victor Wimbanyama, who is two seven three he's like growing he's chet holmgren but taller and shoots the ball a little better and it's a little more filled out physically so he's a freak in a good way 2023 mock draft dropping on busting brackets friday and that's about it right now but yeah thanks for having me on man
2: Cooper always doing an absolutely amazing job and to this point victor Wembanyama. my goodness i have seen yeah. a little bit of tape of that guy Whew. Yeah. Too bad he's not playing college basketball because that would be absolutely magnificent to take a look at him, come in and just tear apart whatever school he's going up against. Chet Holmgren only significantly better. That is right. what you're looking at with Mr. Victor. So that yeah. is going to be a lot of fun. And Cooper... Just does a great job being able to cover the game of basketball over there at and Brack. It's always a pleasure to get him aboard. Big thanks, Sam, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast coming up next set. Because I'm doing my conference preview of the big selfie yesterday, I give you the news and notes of college basketball from the past 48 hours. Love Las Vegas for Kills Heaps, with myself, Greg Spears. And now part of the V S Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Cooper Watson of Bustin' Brackets on. Guy is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college basketball. He does absolutely amazing work out there in the Will we consider North Carolina just the east part of the country? I don't know whether it's the northern part of the country or the southern part of the country, but with that said, he's out there in North Carolina doing an absolutely amazing job of taking a look at the game that we all know and love. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to so give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball over the last 48 hours. Like I said, it's the last 48 hours instead of the last 24 hours because I did my Big South preview on the podcast yesterday. I'm going to be doing a preview for all three. 32 conferences, so be on the lookout for those going in as close to alphabetical order as I can with regards to mid to low majors first. And then we're going to be hitting upon the power conferences towards the end of the offseason. So I expect like the Big West going to try to get on, I guess, for the Big Sky coming up relatively soon. And then the Colonial from there. So that's how we're structuring things. But we did mind seeing a pair of guys from Southern Utah decide to use their fifth year of eligibility. Davion Jones along with Mason Fawcett. Fawcett, top rebounder for a Southern Utah team that they're now going to be in the West with this upcoming season or else maybe one of the big contenders out there in the big sky but Fawcett, 12 points 8 boards, shot right around 33% from 3 and then you wind up seeing Davian Jones be the top scorer for the team last season did wind up missing a few games but 14.5 points, 4.5 boards once again, guy that shot right around 31% from three-point range, you'd like to see a little bit more. But that said, if they're able to get John Knight third to wind up returning as well, which I think that he's going to, I would need to double-check on that. But you wind up getting that trio back at the full. Boy, oh boy, look out. This is going to be a team that's going to be loaded with a bunch of experience. They do wind up losing. Aiden Moody during the offseason. He was a little bit of a sharp shooter for the team, but certainly a Southern Utah team that in their first year out there in the WAC. I'm not gonna say that they're gonna wind up winning the WAC or anything like that, but they are gonna be contenders. Todd Simon, he has actually improved his win total, I believe, in every single year that he's been at Southern Utah. Went from six to thirteen to seventeen, then at seventeen once again, but better win percentage. And then he winds up going twenty and four before going twenty three and twelve last season. So he is certainly building something out there. I wanted mentioning it with our good friend over there at Bustin' Brackets, Cooper Watson, the fact that David Jenkins has decided that he is going to be transferring to Purdue, and and with Purdue, they do end up losing quite a bit of that backcourt. Jaden Ivey being out of the fold, that's going to be tough, but I still think that Purdue is going to be a top-five team, I think is a fair way of putting it out there in the Big Ten. I still think that they're a tournament bunch, and with Jenkins, he's going to look to get back to the form that he wound up having at South Dakota State and or UNLV as he was at Utah last year, 8.5 Eight and a half points per contest. Really didn't contribute anything with regards to dishing out the ball. Has never really been much of a rebound. It Did wind up shooting 40% from three, but got to figure that Purdue they're going to need him to hoist it up quite a bit. And I think that he's going to be up for the task with Purdue. Got to be figuring that they're going to be running a lot through Zach Edey this season. Seven foot four giant of the earth. And I do believe that they are going to be getting back Sasha Stefanovic as well as long as he wants to utilize his fifth year as well, but you do wind up losing Isaiah Thompson as well. Caleb, first is someone that I think is going to be seeing some very meaningful minutes for this team. So it's going to be a little bit of a new look bunch, but I do think that there's still going to be reason to be excited about for Purdue for this upcoming season, but certainly a team that's going to be taking a little bit of a step down from what we wound up seeing last season as I think the Big Ten in general, we're just going to call it what it is. Not necessarily been able to do the world's greatest job of being able to bring in some talent this offseason. I think that's going to be a little bit of a down year in general for the conference. So, Purdue probably going to be able to maintain sort of a top five foothold with regards to that. Jackson Robinson, he wound up being a former top one recruit, spent one year at Texas AM, didn't get a lot of playing time there, spent one year at Arkansas. Didn't get a lot of playing time there. I see he wound up averaging right around three and a half points per game this last season. Someone at six foot seven shot about 32.5%. From three last season, he's heading over to BYU. And this is going to be very substantial for a BYU team that I'm going to call what it is. I think that they're going to take a little bit of a step down. You wind up losing Alex Barcelo, one of the best sharpshooters that we've seen in college basketball. I know it's been a sh- short decade thus far, but this decade, on top of that, they did wind up losing Caleb Bloner, who wound up transferring over to Baylor. They did wind up getting back Gideon George. That is going to be very big. And Fusani Trayer is able to do a solid job down low. So it feels like they just got a glut of guys that are right around. Six-foot-six, six-foot-seven-ish are able to pop shots. They do wind up losing Seneca Knight in the offseason as well, so I wind up hurting them. Who's going to be handling the ball for the team? Who knows, but they've got talented guys like Jackson Robinson, who he's at six-foot-seven, a relatively versatile guy that they're going to be able to do some things, but I think that's a little bit of a jury's out situation because they've got a lot of guys that they're able to have the versatility. Who's going to bring the ball up the court? That is a good question. Brock Wakefield, he last season was at the Citadel, wound up putting up 4.5 points per game, was limited last season due to injury. He has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. We wound up seeing a gentleman from Duquesne. And Mike Pakelja, who wound up not necessarily seeing a lot of playing time this last season for the Dukes, wound up putting up 1.1 rebound per contest. He has decided that he is going to be going to Kent State, someone who you got to figure is going to need to take up a little bit more of an off-the-ball role because you do have sincere carry bag in the fold, but you take a look at Mr. Bajelka coming out of high school. He was a little bit of a rated guy, according to 24-7 sports, not someone that a whole bunch of guys were knocking on his door and they were absolutely enamored with, but he did wind up having a couple offers coming out of high school. A guy that I think he can be a little bit of a stabilizer for this team. Maybe he winds coming in off the bench. Winds is selling a few minutes for this team, so a little bit of a depth piece there. Ryan Wade, he last season was at Central Michigan. He decided that he's going to be staying in the Midwest. He's going to be adding to a UW Green Bay team that they just need anything that they can get at this point. Unable to get out there on the floor in general at Central Michigan. He wound up putting up 0.3 points per contest, but if you go back to what he wound up doing at Holy Cross, he wasn't too bad in two seasons for the Crusaders. Right around 5.8 points per contest, not a guy that told it out too much at right around one and a half assists per contest. Shot about 30% from three-point range. Going to very much fit what UW Green Bay is looking to do. They just need any sort of a guard whatsoever. It's able to give this team a little bit of stability And with Green Bay. What I think is going to be a big question mark when it comes to this bunch as well is what are they going to be able to do with Lucas DeBear. Uh, the fold, he was the main ball handler for this team. They wind up losing Kamari McGee along with Jepin and Kellogg during the offseason as well. It's just a UW Green Bay team that they should have never let go of Link Darner. They went 5-25 last year, and it's not necessarily Will Ryan's fault. Will Ryan, who is actually the son of Bo Ryan, wound up going thrown into a completely impossible sort of situation because the board that wound up deciding to let go of Link Darner, they just have no idea whatsoever what college basketball is. So that's just absolutely tremendous right there, but we're just saying it like it is there. You wound up seeing Tariq Isaiah, who was playing at Lamar during the 2020-21 season and put up a half a point per contest. He decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal, so that's not necessarily too big of news. But sticking with Central Michigan, as you wind up seeing Ryan Wade go over to UW-Green Bay, you wind up seeing Kevin Miller, who is an all Mac freshman? This is a very late addition to the transfer portal. He is side that he is entering in, and this is big for Central Michigan that they've seen a lot of movement this offseason. They wound up losing Cameron Healy. They did wind up getting a few commits recently as well, so you got to figure that Tony Barbie doing his best to be able to mix a match right now, but it's not looking too great for the team as you take a look at some of the additions that Central Michigan wound up having a little bit earlier this offseason. They did wind up bringing in Irwin Weary Jr. from West in Washington, they also bring in Jesse Zarzula. He was someone that wound up putting up right around half points per contest at Coppin State, but was a high turnover guy as well, and now they wind up losing a guy in Kevin Miller that you figure was going to be the focal point of this offense last year. 13 points as a freshman, by the way. Four and a half assists, wound up shooting 36% from three-point range. Had his turnover woes as well with right around 2.8 turnovers per contest, but boy, it's looking like another long year for the Chippewas. Where in the world is Keno Davis when you need him? Rayquandas Mitchell. He last season was playing at UIC, a.k.a. Illinois-Chicago, and he has decided that he is going to be heading over to Kansas City, a.k.a. UMKC, and this is going to be a relatively solid pickup for them. Wanda pretty much redshirting last season after during the 2020-21 season at UIC. Put up some solid numbers, 8.5 points per contest. Shot only about 31% from three-point range. Kansas City going to be an intriguing team out there in a Summit League like that I feel like they just sort of have been that middle team for a very, very long time. They are going to need to look to get back to a little bit more defense because they wind up having a little bit of a tough time on that side of the ball last season. But they wind up bringing in Quandis Mitchell. They did wind up losing a few guys during the offseason. So that is really going to be putting them behind the eight ball because this has been a very well-coached team. In my opinion, under UMKC, they wanted bringing in Billy Donline a few years ago. They wanted being able to win 19 games a season ago, but you wind up losing Jack Chapman. I believe that you now have Evan Gilliard, who's going to be out of eligibility, so he's now going to be out of the fold. You wind up also losing Josiah Alex, someone who was a very versatile guy that was able to put up 13 points, 6 boards, and be able to pop 3. So, a little bit of a new look UMKC team. They bring in Laquandas Mitchell to be able to give them a little bit of pop as well. And Jaquavian Florence, he was last at Charleston Southern. He decided that he is going to be going down to the junior college level, and he is going to be heading to Tallahassee Community College. College of Charleston, I seeded them second to last in my projector or finish with the Big South. I think that they're going to avoid the seller, but someone that I thought had a little bit of upside. He wanted being able to give the team three and a half points, two and a half rebounds per contest. Not a guy that necessarily popped by any stretch of the imagination and just wound up taking a really big step back from his freshman year where he wound up having 10 and points, four and a half boards, shot 33% from three. He just wound up having a really bad sophomore year and now he's looking to build up his stock and he figured, well, and a team that's going to be towards the bottom of the Big South, not going to be able to do that. And when it comes to this one, this podcast, we've you covered with everything that's going down in college basketball when we get in season, Picks an analysis on every single game, every single day and in the offseason running up all the news and notes that we're seeing and continuing on with previewing every single conference rating every single team for their conference in all of these previews as well, so we've got you covered with every single team in all of college basketball to get you set for the upcoming season, and if you do like cheering from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one or two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1, keep in mind letters, ZM. name does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways find an Apple Podcast Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're about firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast so I have that five, that five-star review. Big thanks once again to Cooper Watson of Boston Brackets for joining me in the second segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day, both regular season and off-season, which means that I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.